Entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't, so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't. This is the Maverick Business Podcast, helping people get from entrepreneur to scale. We're going to put in some work, but we're going to have fun doing it. You'll hear from people who've succeeded in business, their ups and downs, and you'll hear from people from behind the scenes that help along the way. This is the Maverick Business Podcast, and here's your host, Anthony Carpenter. Okay, guys, well, welcome back to another episode of the Maverick Business Podcast. Today, we have a super special guest on who is going to help you once you start making money. After you've you've become profitable, where do we want to put that money? So Jason is a business advisor, an investor, a husband, a father, all around great guy. Uh, And he's going to help you and give you some real practical advice on how to to help save you some some money in in the business world. So let's bring on Jason. How's it hey, going? Anthony, thanks for, thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for joining us. Um, really excited about this. This is uh, kind of, you know, um, Mike McCallowitz always talks about the entrepreneurial poverty. And so many business owners go into just where they're never able to, to pay themselves or, or everything. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But there's a few business owners who's, who really get it right and are able to pay themselves and, and start generating that wealth that we all want that business to do. Um, and you kind of help businesses with that ramp up and where to put the money and, and different things like that. And so again, this isn't an investment advice. This isn't, you know, you got to talk to the people if, you know, if you want to use Jason services, like that will be in the, the link, but let's just kind of talk in generalities as to how businesses can, can really start using their profit for the, the best part of them. Yeah. Uh, no problem. I'm happy to start there. Um, First of all, if I would have known that you were going to be wearing a pink and blue shirt, I might not have worn a uh, pink and uh, blue uh, combo. Uh, we look very matchy-matchy, but I'm excited about it. So, yeah. Uh, but it is what I think it was National Women's Day, so we, we're pulling it off well. So yes. I think we're supporting our colors well, so I'll, I'll take it. Um, Anthony, the first thing that you're talking about is um, – so let's start out with what with what I've, I've seen. In, in a lot of cases, I think entrepreneurs, there's that first – um, it's a lot like a child, right? Um, that first couple, like first through three years, you're just trying to survive to see if there's going to be like, is this a real thing? Are we not going to die? Um, you know, you don't sleep, you uh, barely eat and uh, you're just hanging on by your bootstraps. And then uh, all of a sudden uh, you start to realize you have something and this little creature and or business is going to go on to, to be something. Right. And um, that's usually when when, uh, when, when I start being able to step in and help folks, but or my firm, but, um, but aside from that, we'll just put the, put the firm aside and just start talking about some, some basic fundamentals that I think when you realize you're actually going to do it. Right. Um, and that, and this is when you actually have enough to pay yourself and now you're starting to see more money, uh, than what you had you know expected. And so usually I see that around three, four years, three, four, five, sometimes beyond that. Uh, when everybody starts to see the the success coming, and so um, the first thing that I, I that really jumps out to mind is uh, really accounting and bookkeeping. I think is the first first step. Uh, you know, when people first get out the gate, they're doing a lot of their own bookkeeping, a lot of their own um, finances, a lot of times back of the napkin type stuff. Uh, they're just kind of 
uh, winging it. But uh, one of my friends runs an accounting firm and uh, he was able to help uh, share with me one time uh, in a speaking event that they uh, about 70 percent of the businesses that go bankrupt uh, were actually solvent, meaning they had the money and they had the lines of credit and they had the resources. It was just a lot of their accounting and finances weren't in order. And so when you start to realize you're starting to make money and you're starting to profit and it's, there's extra money there, there's probably money to be found, meaning in how you're improving um, your accounts receivables, making sure that everything's being billed correctly. So the first place to start really is just your systems and process when you can actually take a step back and start breathing. Um, that's a good place to start. Um, do you want me to continue to go or do you have some other questions or things around that specifically? Or Well, no, I mean, I agree. It's the first thing that I delegated as soon as I could. I hate accounting. Like I took accounting classes. Mm -hmm. I know how to do it, but it is just not a passion of mine. So, you know, delegating that kind of stuff is, is super important. Um, and I will agree. I think accounting and bookkeeping is the easiest place that people kind of find that lost money that, that just kind of slips through the cracks. Um, so I, I kind of think where I want to take next is um, we have we have the money, right? So now, as far as banking and, and kind of putting some of those assets in, into short, medium, and long-term goals for, for the business. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned one thing a, sec a second ago when you talked about delegation. Um, and I think the second place people should start looking when they're thinking about, thinking about short, medium, and long-term goals is the first place people want to go is they start thinking about um, how do I start investing and maybe div div uh, diversifying outside of their business. But the, uh, the first place you might want to look at is reinvesting back into the business uh, because you yourself, if you're an entrepreneur, um, it's hard for an advisor to, uh, to outperform what you're capable of doing and, and perhaps your specialty or, or your gift or your craft, right? The majority of my clients are people who um, they started out with a truck or a, an idea. Um, I have a, you know, some clients that run a $30 million pool company and they were a lifeguard route to start, right? Uh, 25 years ago. Now they built $30 million worth of pools. So uh, really amazing stuff, but they didn't know what they were, what they didn't know. They just, bought a pool route and decided to start cleaning and lifeguarding pools. Um, but then as they start, as you, but they're really, really good at it. Right. And so the first place I would reinvest back into is the right talent. Right. I think that's even before you're investing in uh, the, the markets or real estate, or, you know, you start, you know, trying to be uh, your, like, like your friends on social media uh, with 14 different streams of income, make sure your main thing is always the main thing and that you've maximized the main thing. Uh, is probably the first place to start um, because the short, medium, and long term, it is your cash cow, and it's what's going to help you produce. Um, the other, right, you know, really, I guess, second thing that that is top of mind is um, starting to look at tax planning in a way that you're looking at it more over a lifetime and not over uh, from a reverse perspective. Um, a big common mistake I see. Uh, is business owners will do tax planning in a way that they, so. I don't want to knock CPAs or advisors for, for the work that they do. They do do their job. And when you, so let me ask you this. When you think of, you know, Anthony, if you were going to refer somebody at a party and said, man, my tax advisor did a great job. Uh, my CPA did a great job. Typically, what are you referring them? Because your tech, your CPA did what? They, they saved you a ton of what? A ton of money on taxes. Exactly. 
that's like the number one cocktail party thing, right? So if I'm a CPA, my job is to save you money in taxes. Well, but on numerous occasions, I've uh, had clients whose tax strategy uh, hindered their ability to get financing or grow or acquire or do certain things because of the way that their income was claimed and not that what they were doing was wrong. It wasn't a, it wasn't a lie or a mis, you know, it wasn't misinterpretation of what they were doing. It was just, it was using tax code to, uh, to, to, to benefit them and for, you know, in a, in a way that would reduce their taxable liabilities at the same time, because of the book books, it didn't translate to the ability to grow the business. And so, um, many times I'll see business owners, they're profiting, they're making money. Then they say, man, I better start saving money on taxes. They don't really sit down and look at it from a strategic perspective about where they really could stand to make the money. So they start doing tax planning that ultimately does one of two things. It either hinders their ability to get cash flow from third party financing down the road and or they're potentially a lot of times moving taxes from a, you know, a, a um, potentially a high, a lower environment, which, you know, if you look at $30 trillion in national debt today uh, as an entrepreneur or business owner and kicking the can down the road, hoping that taxes might be lighter in the future. Uh, with that being said, um, you know, if I was a bet man, um, you know, uh, which I am, uh, I, I would, I don't know if I'd hedge the bet that uh, I'm going to pay less in taxes in the future than perhaps where we're at today. And so uh, knowing that we have a $30 trillion debt out there. So the second place I'm always looking at is, you know, what's our bookkeeping? What are our processes? And then the second part is, is my tax plan um, really in, working in conjunction with my long-term, short-term, mid-term wealth plan and my wealth being the majority of it being driven through my business. Um, the reason why I say that is because these are all places you can find money. So when you start divest, diversifying, people want to do something they want to do what their friend at the golf course said. They do want to do something cool at the for their buddy on the down the street or their uncle Mike or something. Um, there's nothing sexy about I found money missing, right? Like there's there's no cool thing there. Um, but lost money uh, in order to get an ROI on something that you know, let's say is that's a hundred percent return on your money, right? So I mean, if I find money that's slipped out, um, that or and or if I have to if I save money in taxes and I save $20,000, right. Um, but then I come back around and it hinders my ability to grow, which costs me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, could I have, did I really save money? No, I, it cost me, you know, I have a friend of mine who runs a, a business and over, they really expanded after um, COVID and this business owner needed uh, a bigger footprint. And uh, moving into the opportunities that he had, he had a chance and had a desire as part of his own personal goal to buy a building and then sublet space. So he, he would have instantly become not only a business owner, but then he would have had a second business of rentals and owning property. So there would have been a multitude multiplier on top of what he was doing. And he had the cash flow to support it. Um, what he did not have was the appropriate accounting to support uh, SBA financing. And so they, he is now having to unwind that uh, and it's, it's hindering his ability to grow. So had to sign a two year lease. He won't be able to do that deal for two more years. He's had to move into a bigger spot. And, uh, and so, you know, nobody told him that and it wasn't the CPA's fault. The CPA said, I want to save taxes. And that was his job. Let me save you some taxes, man. Uh, and he, he looked like a hero at the Christmas party 
uh, and then come New Year's when it was time to do uh, some growth and go get some money, uh, he went from hero to zero real quick when he found out, hey, I can't uh, do what I'm hoping to do. Um, uh, when you start thinking about short-term, long-term, another loss opportunity, I think, is um, I see we see this a lot, uh, talent. If you think of your top talent, your, uh, your couple of key folks, um, the people who generate a majority of the revenue, there's two things that you could either do. Either that's you and you're going to need to hire and or onboard people so that you can either a keep producing or hand off things to other folks so that you can actually start to enjoy the benefits of being a profitable business owner, um, being in there six, seven days a week, having to take all the calls, having to do all that stuff. I don't know. That sounds a lot like a job, not like a business, you know, like a, the reason why people want to start companies. Um, so if you're, if you're really interested in taking a step back, um, maybe looking at your talent, um, Losing somebody, a top producer, uh, a, a key person is probably one of the more, I mean, think about how many hundreds of thousands of dollars are lost to somebody who actually knew how to do the job or and or could be a backfield to doing your job. And so really addressing that uh, is a critical thing. And it doesn't always have to come in the form of uh, upfront compensation or equity. You can get creative and come up with solutions that would incentivize or tie or encourage those employees to grow with you for the long run hand off some ownership mentality without necessarily handing off ownership by building uh you know resources and tools that would incentivize those employees to grow with you um is another you know lost or you know way to create opportunity and then really the other one or the last one that i would suggest is uh, as you start deciding to invest in, into retirement strategies or vehicles or plans um per Look, look at all the options that are available to you. Pay attention to the liquidity needs of what you need as a business. Uh, make sure that uh, the investments that you're choosing are uh, diverse, but also they, they, they're, they're able to be leveraged for the business, um, meaning they can be used and deployed to go grow with the company if you're an entrepreneur. Um, and then if, if you've then eclipsed that, you're growing, you're making money, you've maximized your tax strategies, and then you have money still on top of that is a good time to start looking outside at other things. But, uh, but really everything should be built. And I think of it like, a, um, I think of it like a, a, uh, if you think of a pyramid, uh, you know, in, in your foundation, everything that's centered around the bottom of that pyramid should be fundamental things that are going to help hold. And that's your, your key people, your, your, uh, your enough cash flow money that doesn't leak out of that pyramid that would knock it off kilter. So we're really looking at foundation as the critical component um, of all of those things. And then on top of those things is when you start to layer in more strategic and outside of the box type investments, but always, uh, you know, protect the base um, because things like COVID will come, um, but, and it might not be COVID. It might be an, an economic downturn. It might be a change in interest rates or markets, but something will shift and if you always have, you know, what I've observed and I work with some very successful clients, our firm's been doing it 50 years is I get to meet people who are successful. It's, um, here's a good example. The, the topic came up the other day about RV parks, right? All this change, people are doing RV parks and jumping into this. Here's what I found. If everybody's jumping into RV parks, um, you were the guys who are already in RV parks are the ones who are going to win. And, uh, and so being late to the party is never really a good thing. So you either need to be the first one at the party 
or you wait for all the people who got to the party really couldn't afford to be at the party to screw up their deal. And then you come in and buy all their assets at a discount. And so, um, which is what the guys who were first to the party are waiting to do. They're waiting for everybody to come in and screw up. Yeah. And so, um, and that's what I've observed is a lot of our clients, they're entrepreneurial by spirit, but they're also very strategic. You know, uh, I was with a real estate investor a couple weeks ago. He goes, uh, he said, you know, everything's marked up. He's, you know, all, everybody's in a frenzy to buy real estate deals and he's not buying hardly any, even though he's sitting on 16 income producing properties right now. His, um, his, his reason for not buying is they're all marked up. They're all at a premium. He said, well, um, you know, his, his number one rule from his mentor, who was very successful, a real estate investor was, um, don't do stupid deals. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just cause everybody else is doing it. It's the time to buy interest rates are an all time low. Well, a 1% interest rate difference on a rental, how much money does that really save you if you screwed up your margins or didn't really make a lot? You know I mean? It, it, it compounds, it, exponentially compounds as to making you yeah. in, a, in a bad position. You know, I mean, exactly. I, you know, I have my real estate license too and everybody's like, oh, let's sell, let's sell, let's sell. But you're going to buy into the same market unless you're, you know, taking here and going to where the market has crashed, you're going to buy high and buy high. I mean, sell high yeah. and buy high. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, mm -hmm. And I kind of want to circle back, um, you know, to something you said. I think, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people, when they start hiring, is that they start developing people in your company, start developing that institutional knowledge of, of how your systems and process work. Um, and so I, I agree. I think you're, you know, spot on when, when people talk about hitting um, and keeping those those key employees and giving them that ownership mentality. What is one kind of thing that you've learned over your day, over the course of how to keep those and kind of nurture that entrepreneurial mentality inside your key employees? So the first thing that I, that I say, and that this, this is, goes from ownership mentality inside your key employees. Um, aside from, from financial components, meaning building things that would essentially incentivize that. Um, I think the first part is obviously the right people, right? That's the, that's the most important thing, but um, culture and core values is probably the number one thing. Right. And so um, one, one thing I've seen, whether it was um, I, I was a multi-unit operator with a, large company um, all the way to the companies that I work with today that are successful, meaning we're not hands on, but I still see, I still, you know, they say success leaves, leaves clues. Um, so I'm around successful people regularly who own and operate companies and the ones that are profiting, making money, have a good team buy-in. All of them have the same consistent patterns, which is company core values, a mission, belief systems, things that are integrated into the culture that make it uh, a reason why people wake up to go to work there. So I think, you know, you can attach monetary stuff, but aside from monetary is, is really the culture is probably the number one. Um, at the same time, there's ways that you can custom build, uh, you know, my firm specifically will help in, you know, individuals in building, um, you know, executive retention plans, things that are non uh, equity driven today, but things that offer vesting into the future uh, and can be custom built to help support, those individuals, if you believe you have the right talent and you would like to keep them from becoming your competition one day, um, give them the opportunity to pretend to, to, to believe that there's something more. You know, um, I walked away from a really great company 
that I cared about, that I was there for years. I was in a very good position, making tons of money. And I left for two reasons. Number one, the culture was going bad. Number two, uh, I had a friend who reached out to me who I knew led with the right type of culture and offered me equity to come to work there. Um, and I took a pay step, a, a step back. I did all those things with the dreams and the hopes of having something more than just a paycheck, um, more than a you know two to three percent increase every year, more than a Christmas bonus, um, and uh, and maybe that means that I'm going to go do my own thing someday, which is initially translated to. But um, you know, had I found the right company with the right leadership team that wanted to give me the opportunity, especially in wellness. I mean, that's where I started from. If I could have found a wellness company and said, Hey, why don't you come run this, these health clubs, let's do this. Let's change lives. Let's make people feel better. And then over a period of time, I'm going to hand you pieces and pieces, you know, one, a bite and a little bit more of a bite and a little to keep me engaged. I probably still would have been in that industry. Right. Right. I, I agree. I think, you know, everybody talks about an extra 50 cents, I mean, an extra 50 cents an hour doesn't translate to anything at the, the end of the day, but mm-hmm. wanting to come to work and having that drive and motivation to get out of bed is, is more important, I think, than anything. I think people quit bad bosses more than they quit bad salaries. So, oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a, you know, we got to meet the needs financially of our people, but more so people will leave for, for bad bosses. Um, and mm-hmm. let's go back a little bit more. And when we talk about CPAs, right? CPAs are there to cut your taxes. And it is that double-edged sword, right? Like you can only do so much tax cutting before it affects your um, ability to grow. Uh, just like you, you gave in your example. What are some of the questions that you should be asking these CPAs to kind of help set you up for success? Well, I would... I would start with the, uh, the answer, which is where you, where you want to be. Um, and so the answer is, okay, I'm a $5 million company or I'm a $2 million company. I want to be a $10 million company. Um, and what can you do as a tax advisor to help me get there? Um, would be the first question because if they don't know, right. Meaning, um, it's just not in their wheelhouse to be involved with you, from a tax planning perspective, from a from a, essentially, not not most CPAs might, won't necessarily be a um, a, uh, a CFO, right? That's a CFO job, but but they should have some type of understanding of what's needed from a from a banking perspective, from a uh, lines of capital perspective, from an income perspective, from a cash flow perspective. All the thing, the cash inside the business versus what you take out of it. They should have those type of strategies from in, in, in a, uh, a, a good CPA should be able to articulate where you're at from 5 million to 10 million and what their role is in that journey um, and helping you get there. So that's that, that's, that would be the first place I start um, with any CPA because it's again, it's not that um, I had a referral. A guy texted me today. He asked me if I knew a good CPA uh, up north. Um, it's, it's Houston. So that's basically like when they say up north, we talk about southeast, west, north, because everything's like um, we basically live in a, in, a, in, a, in a state inside of a state. Mm-hmm. So it's on the, it's in north. He's a Yankee of tech of Houston. Um, so he's in, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he basically halfway to Dallas. Um, but he asked a question. The first question I asked him was, well, is it for your business? Is it personal? 
Um, what are you trying to do with the CPA? Tell me what you want from them. So give me a call later and we'll, let's talk about what you're trying to achieve. Cause yeah, I have people to refer you to, but um, they're not all the same, right? Um, some of them are going to be more strategic driven. Some of them are going to be more focused on uh, planning, tax planning. Some of them are going to be more, more focused on just accounting and bookkeeping. Um, you know, we carry a CPA license at our firm and we don't do any accounting or bookkeeping where it's all strategy driven. So, um, with our CPA in house. So you want to always make sure that, uh, you know, it mirrors and matches what you want. If, if the guy calls me today and says, Hey, I just want to save some money on taxes. Me and my wife are paying too much. We own a couple of rental properties. Um, and you know, got a, a couple of vested interests in other little things, projects. If his idea is to make money, have money in different things and save money, then probably just a standard CPA. If he's running a company, wants to take that company from one to 10 and wants to do that, then I got a different CPA and they're going to charge different fees and premiums and costs and associated with that. But might as well get the one that's turnkey and can do all the things that you're looking for in the future. If you're really going to plan to go that way, no sense in, you know, buy and build for where you want to go. Not for, um, you know, uh, it's kind of like, um, I made the, the the mistake the first time I tried entrepreneurship and real estate of um, of not of I, I didn't market and build the strategies for the amount of volume that I would that I intended to do. And when the volume came, I got overwhelmed. Um, and so I set a goal of here's where I want to go. And then I didn't lay the infrastructure to support it. And it, it crushed me because as soon as the volume got there, I, I was missing things and uh, and had deals fall through the cracks and stuff simply because I built for where I was and, and as opposed to put the systems in place for where I wanted to be. I, yeah, that's, I think that's happened to any good entrepreneur. They kind of, oh, yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a good problem to have, but it's a, it kind of hurts your reputation in the, in the short term. Well, it doesn't make sense to me if you're in the business of making money, that's your job, right? Like we didn't get in this business for, you know, unless you're a nonprofit um, and they still have to make money. But if you if you started your own company, you're an entrepreneur, you're in this to make money. So every dollar that you have, every dollar you intend to make and every dollar you hope to make someday should be the first thing that you're considering. How do I make money? How do I keep more money? And what's the most effective way to use my money uh, out into the future or should be like at the forefront because that's why you open if not you would just go to work and collect a paycheck yeah no i agree i think you know you were saying like we entrepreneurs work 80 hours a week so we don't have to work 40 hours with somebody else you know that's <laughs> yeah that's um, kind of silly <laughs> but uh but you know and, and that, i think that's kind of our big big goal is yeah we start out that way but we all want to get back to the 20 hour the tim ferris the four hour work week you know and where we're kind of just managing the top level and then not so much the inside. Yep. Um, let's kind of talk about mergers and acquisitions. I know that your firm does a little bit of that um, and kind of, I think that in my opinion, that's one of the best ways to grow your company is, is uh, picking up your competitors, right? Cause there's only four ways to make money. It's to find new clients, sell more to your existing clients, hire sales reps, and then mergers and acquisitions. Well, I'm not really um, the M&A guy inside my, my shop. So, and we don't actually do the M&A. Um, we do prep for helping clients get yeah. there. So I'm not really on the, um, I don't go pursue businesses, nor 
am I on the transaction side of any of that work? So my, probably not my expertise, but yeah. but I could probably help answer a couple questions that you might have. It's kind of, you know, get right. So we're talking about getting to scale. So it's, it's kind of mm -hmm. setting that foundation. Um, it's kind of getting the, the mindset right of when is the time to start that mergers and acquisitions and, and reaching out to those transaction people um, inside your firm or, or other firms? Well, I don't know if there's a there's a there's an exact win because uh, I think it's situational. Um, and I'll just give you a recent example. Um, one example we had is a uh, a client who owns a particular um, type of construction company, and uh, I think for a lot of times for acquisitions, I would I would almost argue that they're they're sometimes. Um, right time, right place is, is where I see a lot of that is I'm, I'm in an opportune position and because I'm financially solvent, I can make a deal. And I think a lot of times that's where that's, so if I was to say one, one thing that I've observed, cause I've been in the process of what, and I've, again, I've only been doing this for three years. I don't know all of our clients, but I do know the ones that I've seen and dealt with. And in two scenarios that I've watched this happen, they were both, opportunistic chances. I mean, they weren't really looking for it. It was, I could grow my business. I already know that I have, um, I'm in a stage where I've already, I've already established that um, I've either maximized my potential, meaning I'm making money, I'm capped out. I might not even want to grow, right? Meaning I, I, I mean, to be very candid, both of these people were both making good money. Um, but they were looking at transition in the next probably 10 to 15 years. And inside of that transition, it would either mean that they were going to hand the keys over to internal people and, or put themselves into a position where they would be more attractive to an outside buyer. And so they, that's why they hire us. And so right. both scenarios, we're helping them retain their talent. And in both scenarios, um, they, because they're solvent, because they have money and because they're flush with uh, the, like we described, the ability to make moves because they have the capital and the third party financing at their disposal. Um, both of them were able to pick up complementary companies uh, where, where the owner um, decided he wanted to get out, didn't have the succession plan and uh, essentially uh, fire sales, the wrong term because the guys, the, both of those scenarios will work out well and favorable. But to, to what you were just describing is when's a good time? Well, the time is when it's when it's the right opportunity. Yeah. And in both of these scenarios, they can pick up MSAs and agreements and opportunities that would work and overlay with their business. So essentially improve both uh, verticals um, pool of resources faster. Um, both of them are profitable companies. They'll merge and essentially make more profit and then share in each other's MSAs and clients all through this opportunity. And those would not have been had, had these business owners, A, um, divested so much out of their companies that they were spread too thin, didn't have the liquidity, B, had all their investments and um, other things in the markets and, and were in the wrong spot. So, so they've always kind of kept the approach, especially working with our firm, that we want to make sure that should the opportunity present itself, that we're in a strong position with financing to ensure that we can go take capitalized opportunities when they present themselves. Um, and so in, in both scenarios, it's, it's going to work out for them. 
And I, I think that that's right. And I would probably venture to say, based on our previous conversations, that that's kind of your firm's goal is we want to help you be get to that next level and kind of have that mindset of let's be solvent all the time and have the opportunities um, and never kind of shortchange ourselves with the bank financing or any other type of financing because we're taking so much money out of the the business. Yeah, yeah. So I always tell people, right, you, you want to, if you're going to, you always want to be able to bet on yourself. And if your firms that are working with you can't position you to improve your odds when it, when it comes to betting on yourself um, because they've got you, they got you in too many other games. Uh, you know, you always, you always want to make sure that your, your, your firms are working inherently to help you uh, the value of your company, improve the value of your company. And so a lot of times that makes sure it means that you're investing the right way to support that. So. So let's kind of wrap up. I know we're running out of time here. So what would be kind of your greatest advice um, to those, you know, starting to scale companies? Kind of they're, they're in that second, third year. They're starting to see some profit, you know, kind of getting those systems in place. What would be your advice for them? This one, it, does it have to be relative to, to money? No. Just the number one piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget why why you started doing what you're doing in the first place. You know, um, I think um, the only reason you would put yourself through what you go through as an entrepreneur is because you love what you do. Um, you love. You're trying to bring value to the marketplace. You're trying to improve people's lives. You're trying to create opportunities. You become passionate about your staff. Um, I mean, I, I have uh, so many people who um, are 20, 30 years in their business and they're, they're looking to exit and they're putting plans together and their controllers or their people, you know, they were their bookkeeper, um, you know, and they've been with them through thick and thin or their project manager who, um, you know, they're now going to leave them really cool positions for their lives. And it's going to have a generational impact and effect on their families. Right. Those are those are really uh really cool things. Um, but those are business owners that didn't forget where they came from. And I think a lot of times what happens with companies is um, as soon as they start to scale and it gets, they get more scope and then they lose the connection from their people and, or they, it, you know, they start talking in terms of solvency and banking and money and lawyers and guys like me. And so what ends up happening is they, shift to where everything's about money because money matters. It's how you grow. It's what you do. But as soon as you start involving all that stuff, there's something special about like fighting in to survive. Yeah. Yeah. That, that but when you, start to try, you start to try to think about in terms of how do I f- maximize my money? And then the, you know, so you start using terms like value and money and all this other stuff, solvency, all these things matter they're critical to the operation of the business, but it starts to almost rewire people in a way that, uh, you know, it's like the old saying people over profits. A lot of times people got into it because they wanted to there. They wouldn't do all that if they weren't trying to make a difference and bring value to the marketplace. Then they start sitting around with a bunch of money guys and all this crap. And they, you know, they, they, then it starts becoming um, about, you know, profit and this, you know, and, and when that starts to happen, you'll sometimes see it shift into the culture. Great, great companies, great companies. I'm fortunate to work with companies. Most of the people who uh, engage with us are not that way, meaning because they, 
they wouldn't invest in the things that they do with us if they didn't already kind of have a legacy mindset. But I see it happen regularly. I saw it happen to the company companies that I love to work for. And I see it happen to really good companies that uh, I've met along the way that the, the, the company, the founder, the start, the person who started all lost their why and, uh, and it man and, and their company got away from them. It became a totally different place. Yeah. I think culture, you know, uh, and we've talked about it and kind of and bounced around, but culture is probably the biggest thing, um, that I think companies need to to work on. I mean, creating that fun atmosphere where people want to come to work and are celebrating at work and develop friendships with work. And I think that's where, you know, you will, businesses always grow when you have those components versus, you know, maximizing every dollar. So I think, Absolutely. I think it's important to maximize dollars, but it's more important to have the culture. Yep, I agree. Well, Jason, any any last last words before we tell everybody how they can get a get a hold of you? No, uh, Anthony, I've, I'm a big fan of you. I, I think you have a passion for business owners, a passion for the state of Texas, uh, a passion for your family, um, and so I'm uh, I'm just humbled that you would invite me on to have this discussion, and um, proud to be a friend of yours and part of your network, and hope to serve you in any way that I can. So, well, uh, thanks so much. Um, so why don't, why don't you tell people where they can get a hold of you? LinkedIn. Um. Easiest things, LinkedIn. Um, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm on several different platforms. Um, I, even in this show today, right? I'm not here to talk. I wasn't really here to talk about my, my my company or my business. LinkedIn is my business profile, so all my work is done through there. Um, but uh, you know, everything else, these types of shows, everything else, I'm just Jason Lee, and I and I like to keep it that way for that reason because. Um, you know, I've made a lot of friends and, and partners out here and I want the world to really more be more focused on, I'm, I'm more interested in relationships. So, uh, but the easiest place to find me, LinkedIn, you can, uh, basically look easy to track down out there. I do have a, my own podcast as well. Uh, the Gulf Coast growth show, uh, through the economic Alliance. You guys can tune into that. That's very economic driven here, uh, in Houston. So you're happy to just reach out through there. So, and it's a, it's a good show. So I definitely recommend, uh, checking that out. So, uh, well, Jason, thanks again um, to all those listening. Thanks for listening. Um, you'll see in the show notes, um, Jason's link to his LinkedIn. Um, connect with him, um, and he'll really help you grow, um, both on a professional and on a um, business standpoint. So uh, until next week, guys, we'll, uh, we'll check you later. Thanks a lot.